0: everybody to connecting the universe i'm author and researcher mike rick secker we have a fantastic interactive class for you this evening on secret societies, secret societies and the circle did archive 81 get it right and so what that reference is is and is to the new netflix show archive 81 it's based off of a podcast and i have not uh listened to the podcast at all, but the show was absolutely fantastic. Now I'm not gonna give you know a lot of spoilers or anything like that here about the show. Uh, the couple quick references that I make uh, are, are going to make are, it, it's stuff that you get five minutes into the show. So there, there's not gonna be any, any spoilers or anything like that here. I do have a couple of visuals uh, from the show, but again, it's stuff you get if you just watch a trailer. So uh, you're, you're not gonna have any big giveaways or anything like that here. Uh, I see uh, Jeanette and Sarah are in the house, and we will go ahead and get rolling here with our question for the class, our class question for the day. And I didn't bring up the little graphic, but that's all right. So what kind of lost knowledge do you think secret societies are hiding? And we had a couple of responses here. Deborah Olette said, I believe quite a bit that most of the public is unaware of. So super secret stuff. And Sarah Yusuf responded with ancient energetic connections that are no longer readily available in the current evolving landscape. And uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of uh, that for sure. And I think that as we get into it and we start talking uh, about this subject, I, I think it's almost that they're trying to recapture lost knowledge. Almost like, you know, they... They know that the energy is there. They know that the ceremonies were performed you know way back in the day. and they're not even quite sure themselves how it all works, but they're trying to recapture it. And like I said, as we go along, I believe we will we will see some of that. So for this particular class, now, if you are listening to the audio podcast later, please join us live Wednesday nights, 8 o'clock pm where you can actually partake in the discussion down in the chat room. You can get the full visual presentation as well because we roll through with a bunch of slides. We toss in a couple of video clips. Uh, we have one geared up for tonight and uh, and you know I take your questions right here live in the chat. Uh, also, and that's through the Connected Universe portal, connecteduniverseportal.com. 30 uh, day free trial, sign up for that. Not only do you get the weekly interactive class, but you get a, bunch of other material on the website as well boatload of articles i've actually uh i've uploaded some more now here recently you get uh the the egypt material you get the american southwest material you get a bunch of behind the scenes videos you get these morning mug videos a, a whole bunch of stuff hours and hours worth of material so connect universe for those that are now already a member all right so, with that out of the way, let's go ahead and get into secret societies. Um, I don't want to get too historical here. Like, I don't want to throw out a bunch of names and dates. Like, you know, this is, you know, these are the Bilderbergers and names and dates. And, you know, this is the Illuminati and names and dates. And uh, these are the Rosicrucians and names and dates. We're going to touch on a little bit of these different societies, uh, but we're going to kind of bring it back home into. Of what we were talking about last week with the stone circles there's mary Hey, good to see you mary uh, so we want to really ask those questions about okay what type of power were they tapping into how far back in history do they go um you know this is these types of groups uh we're not just thinking you know of themselves in that day and age in that time period in their immediate family we're talking about they think general generationally like you know uh three four five generations down the road uh even longer than that you know where where is you know society going to be hundreds of years from now where do we want to steer this where do we want our families to be uh within that and you know this is very very far reaching and it goes both ways they have that type of vision toward the future but there are also reaching way, way back into the past for a lot of this knowledge. Uh, So when we're talking secret society, now we use that term, but really it means a, a group that is not open to the public. So you can't just, it's not like going down to your local YMCA and you sign a form and boom, you're a member um it, it's not like that a lot of times uh, most times you have to be invited into these groups uh, now the public knows about them they know they exist like you know you take the freemasons it's you know the kind of the most unsecret secret society there is you know we we all know it exists we see their buildings um you know we're very very familiar with the freemasons but um you know as far as getting into that door um uh, you know that's there. There's a lot of off limits stuff that you don't see and you don't know about. Um, now, in recent years, I, I think they've tried to be a little bit more forthcoming. They've allowed some video cameras in. There. There's a couple of documentaries out there now on um, on the Freemasons where they're showing. Okay, here's here's some mm-hmm. of our stuff. You know, here's some of our rituals. Here's what happens behind the doors. Because I, I think they're cognizant of the fact that in a lot of ways have gotten a a bad rap over the years over what they do Uh, so you're seeing a little bit more information come out but there's still a lot behind closed doors that we don't know about so um we'll we'll get into some of this stuff as as we go along so i mentioned archive 81 and uh, the influence here if you haven't watched this show yet um i highly recommend it this is the, uh, the Netflix banner. And uh, again, I'm not going to give away a ton here. Anything that I talk about uh, is, is really stuff that you're going to see either your know, first five minutes of the show or uh, in the trailers. So there's, there are a number of parallels here that they draw from real life. Now, this is a fictional story, uh, but they incorporate a lot of real life themes. You know, when we're talking about, uh, you know, secret societies and rituals and, you know, things like this. Like this is a a still from the show and they're doing, you know, some ceremonial work uh, and things like that. They're in the circle. They got the masks on. They're doing some stuff. Um, And, you know, this is, you know, clip here. Again, you see within the first five minutes of the show, it's actually called the circle. You know, just the straight shout out to ceremonial circles, and we saw a lot of that sort of stuff last week. Ancient times stone circles, when we covered specifically Stonehenge, Drombeg. We're gonna talk a little bit more about Drombeg again tonight. Uh, these sorts of things, Göbekli Tepe. Uh, you know, these were locations in which they performed these ceremonies, and as as groups, you know, humanity grew got bigger groups couldn't always go to some of these historic locations like this they started forming their own circles within their household or you know maybe they built a a hall somewhere they even rented out some space a lot of times they had to meet in secret let's go find a location where we can do these things it's not out in the open and so they would get together and they would perform uh these different rituals and uh, again with this particular television show the way they uh portray it they incorporate a lot of things that we are familiar with so we're familiar with the with the uh with the motif of the circle you see the emblem there in the middle that's not quite a pentagram but you see a lot of the triangle within the circle type of motif and uh, symbolism that's within there which again we are very very familiar with but they've for storytelling purposes and that's a fictional tale they've kind of uh, put their own flavor with that uh, the actual uh, society quote-unquote society that is involved which has a you know a specific name uh, it's based heavily on the organizations that you would see like during the spiritualism movement you know they have a uh, a type of uh, you know Person basically, that that channels energy, that channels spirit in a sense within this, and so again, it kind of calls back to uh, the old spiritualism movement. Highly recommend Mitch Horowitz's book *Occult America*, you which know, which gets into a lot of those different groups that grew up uh, within America dating i think uh, his that book goes back probably into the late 1700s real heavily in the 1800s uh you know through like the burned out district and uh which is in new york uh, massachusetts some stuff here and Ohio. so he hits it's a lot of east coast stuff but he, you know it spreads across the country and so you know we see that kind of develop as you go throughout his book again i highly recommend it um he uh, touches on theosophy and things like this as well and how this occult America. So how that influence came over into America, H.P. Blavatsky, and and uh, that sort of influence, and you see these elements kind of start to play out uh, you know, through the show, and then you see the uh, you know the iconography of the different idols. And what was interesting uh, with this particular show was the the idol uh, looks very very alien to me. And again, I'm not going to give anything. Uh, away here Uh, but you you see this you know use of idol worship uh, and things like that but also callbacks to real history so they get into like the mumbler photographs they show a couple there um, which is great and so this one in the upper uh, left-hand corner Abraham Lincoln goes to Abraham Lincoln with uh, Mary Todd Lincoln his his wife and uh, you know the interesting thing about Mumler is that he was basically proven to be a fraud. It was just, you know, basic double exposure. And in a court of law, when this went to trial, there were a lot of people that came forth and said, we we know it's not real, but it's helping us get through the pain of it. And he was actually acquitted. And what the judge Ended up telling the uh, the prosecuting attorney because the prosecuting attorney is like, you got to be kidding me here, right? It's like, look, you didn't prove your case. You know, it, it, it's like I believe that the photos are fraudulent, but you didn't prove your case. I'm acquitting Mumler, <laughs> so um, so it's really really interesting. And he went on to produce the uh, the photos with people knowing that okay, it's it's double exposure, but they liked the idea, the novel idea of uh, of seeing the spirit of their loved one with them Uh, and so it it helped people through through the grieving process uh also with uh with archive 81 you see a lot of uh you know references to uh, different stones uh stones from meteors you know what you know tektites that sort of thing so um they do a really good job of incorporating a lot of these different elements that we see within ritualistic practices that we see uh, within secret societies played out right before us. And, uh, again, highly, highly recommend the show. I think it did a good job of kind of quote unquote getting it right. Uh, and kind of expanding on what, what we know kind of goes on behind the scenes. Um, as let's see, you got a couple of comments in here. So, um, and, and yeah, Sarah, many forms of mysticism are based on existing holy books or significant events. We're going to get into uh, some of that different stuff here, uh, for sure, for sure. So we look at we make another um, pop culture reference here. So Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, this was Stanley Kubrick's last film. This is the one where you know, Tom Cruise basically infiltrates the uh, the secret society, the secret cult. And you see here in the photo where they're they're all in a circle doing their ceremony work. And he's uh, basically, you know, he's found out and they're they're confronting him. Uh, But again, this is one that really, you know, mess with your head. And there are uh, some various accounts of these types of things that happen behind closed doors all across the world. This one uh, takes place in New York. Now, the original novella, uh... That, that this film is based off of the story took place in Paris. So, but, you know, an American audience, they, they put it in New York. What's, uh, again, getting kind of conspiracy theory-ish about this, uh, Stanley Kubrick died only six days after showing his final cut of this movie to Warner Brothers. And what ended up happening after he passed away is warner brothers or the powers there somebody uh or group changed the film it was heavily edited afterward before it was released to the public so whatever Kubrick had put together um it was different than what actually got shown and you know i've i've seen some interviews and read some articles about um you know reactions from Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, about what was in the film. And they've never really been very vocal about things that got cut out. But those things that did cut out apparently were just, were mind-blowing. So people wonder if, because of what Kubrick was displaying on film and delving into this world of secret societies, if, uh, if somebody didn't take them out and then they changed the film on them that's the conspiracy theory uh, we don't know you know and, and we will never know for sure on that one so what is it that these uh that these fictional tales that we're seeing here that that kind of get our juices flowing that get us thinking into into the occult and into um, what may be going on behind closed doors you know what did. What are these secret societies doing? What are they trying to? What are they trying to empower themselves with? Are they trying to take over the world? Do they already, you know, do they already control the world? Which, you know, I I do believe personally that there is a small faction of people that do essentially control the way the world works. Uh, you know, people have done the whole mapping out of how, you know, there's just a handful of companies that own the majority of the other ones in, in the world. It's something like, uh, you can take, uh, 120 companies in deduce that they own 60% of all the businesses out there in the world, which is a very, very significant, uh, chunk. So if you're rolling in that much money and control that much of the market, you have the power. Uh, And, you know, that power really came through the the banking system over the past couple of hundred years. I'm not going to get very uh, political with this because you really can with this topic. And I don't want to do that with this. I want to stay a little bit more kind of toward the metaphysical side, kind of toward the roots of what it is we're trying to uh, discover here. You know, rather than the whole machinations of, you know, this person influencing this person, and you know, this is that person's puppet. I'll touch on that a little bit, um, you know, kind of briefly here as as we go through, but I don't want to get deep into that aspect of it. So let's go ahead and get into the Illuminati. That's the Big one that people always point to. Aside from the Freemasons. Uh, the Illuminati is the one that's kind of the, you know, hiding in the shadows around the corner. And that's you know, kind of the like boogeyman of the, of the secret societies, right? So I have in my hand here. We will reference this, reference this a little bit. The Illuminati by by Jim Mars. This was actually the last book that he wrote. Before he passed away. And he's done a lot of various conspiracy theory types of books, like Trillion Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, Population Control. The movie JFK with Kevin Costner, uh, that Oliver Stone directed back in the early 90s, that was actually based off the work of Jim Mars. So, you know, this is not just some, Jim was a very, very learned individual and you know he pieced a lot of different things together he was not just some crackpot off the street like i said you know his his work became a massive major movie that people are very very familiar with so we'll reference his work a little bit here as we go along uh and so okay what exactly is the illuminati we hear that you know term all the time it was um uh dan brown used that in angels and demons where uh, you know kind of dredged up the old boogeyman to you know scare people into i won't get into the plot of that movie but uh or well book is where it started uh so i won't get into all of that but when we think of illuminati it brings up all these fears and you know that whole you know organization hiding in the shadow sort of things So where did this thing all begin? What what is this all about? So it really started with Adam Weishaupt or Weishaupt. Uh, It was the Bavarian order of the Illuminati. Now, Illuminati basically uh, means a person who has been enlightened or illuminated by receiving knowledge from a higher source. That's essentially what Illuminati is, the illuminated ones. Really easy to remember when this organization was formed it was formed in 1776 so the you know anniversary of our declaration of independence uh, every fourth of july that we celebrate so really really easy to remember the year that it was formed uh adam weishaupt was a jesuit trained academic he was a professor of canon law at the university of ingolstadt so this is in germany or what ended up becoming Germany back then, it was kind of like a, a bunch of um, you know, little duchies and small city states and all that. And they would have, you know, kind of a, a kind of like a king type figure that would oversee all of that. But it wasn't Germany yet. So Weishaupt, he was influenced by Gnosticism. Uh, and esoteric knowledge of the ancient Persians and Egyptians. So he had a lot of influence there of very ancient lost knowledge. And he wanted, uh, he wanted to learn more about these things. He wanted to illuminate others with this sort of knowledge. Now, some say he didn't actually invent the Illuminati, but revived it, that it had its origins in the Knights Templar, Greek and Gnostic initi- initiatory cults, uh, of course ancient Egypt like we talked about Atlantis and even the Anunnaki. So he was going way back like ancient Sumer for a lot of this type of knowledge. Things that we've been talking about here, you know, in in the Connected Universe class. You know, we're talking about stone circles and uh you know what they were what they were doing with those last week. And of course we've covered a lot of these. We've done a lot of different things with Egypt here. And so he was trying to infuse that knowledge into existing groups. So he formed the Illuminati, but he also became initiated in Freemasonry like the following year. And what he did is as he became a part of these Mason groups, these Masonic groups, he would start infusing his ideas of Illuminism into the different masonic groups and so as he started kind of recruiting more people the, the organization only started with five people just him and four others and uh, uh the one individual we only have a full name for <laughs> so uh so very very small group but they over uh the next several years they grew to about three thousand so they grew rather large uh in a short period of time and as they kind of um, influence these different masonic groups the powers that be started getting very wary of this you know entire masonic groups suddenly you know we start were turning toward illuminism rather than their uh their customary uh, masonic teachings so things started to change and this started to concern people so uh yeah at one point uh, by, by 1779, the Illuminati had gained complete control over Munich's Masonic Lodge. And this is kind of where things started to become very, very concerning uh, for you know, other Freemasons and you know, like grandmasters and things like this. So what really kind of did the Illuminati in, because they ended up disbanding, uh, they, were, they were basically stomped out. Uh, they were no longer able to, to practice, but they already started developing fractures within the group. Uh, And so they started to split and there was also this warning off of the Illuminati by other groups. So like the Rosicrucians actually came out against the Illuminati. So the Illuminati are infecting the Freemasons and the Rosicrucians come out and say, Hey, you know, we we want to worry you about these Illuminati guys (laughs) So, (laughs) kind of interesting how other Groups are coming into play here but it was one of those where they all kind of stemmed from the same background you know they had you know rosicrucians are really kind of a leftover from the knights templar well so were the freemasons they were kind of a leftover of the knights templar when the knights templar were stamped out um, and they had to disband because they were being hunted down you know, black friday Or uh, I'm sorry, Friday the 13th. You know that they disbanded into these other groups, and they they still practice in secret. And then over the years, each of those little groups started building their own customs. So even though they were all the Knights Templar originally, they they ended up with their different following. Well, here comes these uh, Illuminus, these Illuminati guys who had even a little bit of more of a different message. They were instilling other ideas that they didn't necessarily want uh, put into the group. In fact, they said, uh, this is from their, their Rosicrucian's pamphlet, 1783. The pamphlet was called uh, The Illuminati Unmasked, uh, and it advised the order, uh, which advised the order, I, I, my show notes, wow, I typed that up wrong but basically uh that the illuminati okay the illuminati was using freemasonry to undermine the christian faith and advance a secular philosophy so it was kind of one of those where um you know these guys are too too creative with their ideas <laughs> you know they're 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 pushing the envelope too much we've got to pull them back so uh german philosopher Immanuel kant uh, during this period in time, this is in 1784, he published an essay titled, What is Enlightenment? And you could you could find that essay online, read the whole thing. But he summed it up by basically citing the era's philosophical model, dare to know, have courage to use your own reason, which is basically what the Illuminati was, was trying to do. It was trying to open people's minds, illuminate them, right? So that's kind of our history lesson on the Illuminati today. Uh, a couple more things I do want to touch on with this. Let me get to your uh, comments here real quick. Um, let's see, Sarah, esoteric knowledge seems to imply a sense of power. It creates a form of classification system, which people know and those who do not. Um, yeah, and that's kind of you know, one of those one of those things when it comes to secret knowledge that, uh, there are, you know, we are practicing these things in secret. We have the knowledge. If we have the knowledge, we have the power. Knowledge is power, that sort of thing. And we don't want these other people to have it. Some people, some people aren't going to go down that road anyway. Some people are just caught up on their own lives. They're not concerned with it at all. They don't even want to know. Uh, but. There's definitely this separation of power here where we know these things and we're going to keep it away from you, uh, which is one of the reasons why people want to know what the secret societies know because they know that there's that separation there, that this whatever knowledge it is that they have is the reason why there's this increased power over them or at least the the perceived power. But we will see here in just a second how there is really a power there and um, there's really no denying it. So, all right, we're gonna get into the Rothschilds here real quick. So, uh, Rothschild was supposed to of course have connections to the Illuminati and started with uh, Mayor Bauer who ended up changing his name to, to Rothschild He originally was studying to become a rabbi. He's the gentleman there that's kind of bowing a little bit. Um, to, I guess the civilian in the, in the painting here. He was originally studying to become a rabbi until his parents passed away. When his parents passed away, he had to leave school and became an apprentice at a banking house. And I remember we mentioned banking earlier. Over the last couple, of year, couple, couple hundred years, banking is where you know, the powers really developed. So he eventually went on to become a financial advisor to William the Ninth, who was a royal elector of the Hesse Castle region. So uh, again, it, Germany, Germany wasn't uh, a country then. I think Sarah said proto Germany down there. Yeah. So this was uh, one of the regions of, of what is now Germany. And so William was a Freemason, and thus Rothschild also became a Freemason, became initiated. And this was a time in which Freemasonry was starting to become influenced a bit by Jewish Kabbalah. And Rothschild had actually studied a lot about Kabbalah when he was at school during his uh, rabbinic teachings. And so it was really a perfect fit for him to become part of Freemasonry if they were starting to incorporate some of the Kabbalah because he could actually having studied it, be a person that people could go to for knowledge. So again, the whole idea of knowledge is power. He had knowledge of the Kabbalah since he studied it. And so in these Freemason groups that he was a part of, he could, he could give that knowledge. So he was somebody that was looked up to. Plus, he knew finances. He could take care of people's money. So he became very influential very, very quick. So when the Illuminati began infiltrating the Freemasons, it was believed that Rothschild was right on board with that. Uh, some even believe that the Illuminati was a rothschild direct project, uh, which you can't prove. Um, it's, it's speculated upon. People have different, uh different facts to try to back that up. But David Livingston uh, wrote, this is a quote from him, In 1773, Mayor Rothschild had invited 12 other wealthy and influential men representing in all 13 bloodlines of the Illuminati to convince them to pool their resources in a plot to bring about a new world order. Thus was Adam Weishaupt commissioned to establish the Illuminati. So, again, we'll never know for sure, but there there is a large group of people that believe that uh, Rothschild basically commission the Illuminati. I don't know if that's necessarily true because um, Rothschild was very, very successful in essentially everything he did. So if he he had commissioned the Illuminati to be formed uh, in order to influence all these different groups, then why did it ultimately end up failing? Now, different principles of Illuminism are certainly within uh, the different secret, si- secret societies today. So when the Illuminati was essentially, uh, essentially they, they were abolished. <laughs> you you had the fraction of the group and then they were essentially abolished. I can't remember off the top of my head the different laws and statutes that were put into place uh, to, to stop their influence. But you still had 3,000 people that believed in their teachings, in their followings, and they were still involved in these different, masonic groups so the ideas and the principles were still there within the groups being handed down being passed down but to say that uh that rothschild actually organized this to happen i don't necessarily believe that did he believe in illuminism and follow along with some of those principles sure i could certainly see that Uh, but i don't think that he orchestrated the illuminati's formation. But again, very, very influential person. And when you start following the money, uh, you can actually follow the money to uh, to John D. Rockefeller. Uh, now, of course, he's one of those that, that always gets pointed out as a, uh, you know, whether he's Illuminati or uh, you know, the Masonic Ties, things like that. But um, <laughs> let me just put it this way. Uh, a, a significant portion of, of Rothschild fortune before we get to Rockefeller was embezzled from his client. I, I mentioned William the Ninth a moment ago uh, who basically ran that region of Germany and he had hired Rothschild to be his financial advisor. Rothschild was embezzling money from him. And during the American Revolution he managed the transactions between England and William the Ninth for the Hessian soldiers that came into America to fight against the, the American rebels so in a sense you could say the American Revolution by proxy helped to Finance and build up the Rothschild banking empire because he was skimming off the top of those transactions of Hessian soldiers going over to fight for the English in America. Kind of scary to think about. Uh, years down the road in America, we're hitting John D. Rockefeller. We'll be done with the history lesson here in just a moment. Uh, a good portion of uh, of Rockefeller's money came from a loan at the Bank of Cleveland. So when he wanted to invest in the oil industry, he went to the Bank of Cleveland in the this was mid-1880s, or mid-1800s, I'm sorry, uh, in the mid-1800s. And this was a Rothschild-owned bank. Rockefeller, of course, used that money to make it huge in the oil industry and became our first millionaire. So... <laughs> Our first millionaire in our country through the oil industry was yeah, you know, essentially Rothschild money with which came from the American Revolution on the other side <laughs> so you see all these different intricate ties and um that go you know far back into history and it's almost like a, a shell game um it goes from here you know it goes to Germany, to uh, America. Came from Egypt, but you know, it's all staying within the same little group. And So that's where people start, you know, going down the whole, uh, you know, conspiracy theory hole and uh, and drawing those correlations because you can actually draw historic ties from one person to another, or you know, you follow the money like that. It's it's really it is really fascinating and kind of scary to think about at times too so the illuminati coming to america ultimately uh, is believed that the order came to came to us from germany to yale university uh in 1832 i don't, I don't know where they get that specific number it specifically came over in 1832 um, but that's an, that's the year a lot of people point to and uh, we see that of course Yale skull and bones and, you know, here, you know, we've had several different presidents as a part of this very secretive society that's on the Yale campus. They even have their own temple there, windowless temple. Um, and people always want to know what goes on behind the doors. Now, there's the old legend of Prescott Bush, which would be um, the father of uh, George H.W. Bush, our the first Bush president in the uh, of course, grandfather to the second bush, uh, George W. Bush. Supposedly, he went out and dug up the uh, the skull of Geronimo. And supposedly, it is there uh, within within the temple. Nobody's digging up Geronimo's grave to make sure. I have a photo of the grave somewhere, because we, we did that when we were in Oklahoma. Um, but I wasn't able to find it for... For this class, uh, but again, a very very influential group. And these are, you think Skull and Bones on the Yale campus? These are young guys, but they come from all these influential families. Uh, and so, uh, you know, again, we've had presidents that have been involved with that. Uh, kind of a again a tight knit group of very powerful young men at that point in time that later grow up to become powerful adults that run if they don't become present, they're running various large corporations and businesses uh not only within the united states but also worldwide now so it's really spread. so um and uh and is loving the photos well thank you very much and and uh, Mary is saying, I think the power struggle has been here since the beginning of time. Yeah, we're going to we're gonna go back into time. I know we've been doing like the history lesson of uh, like Illuminati starting in Germany, coming to America. We're going to get into some even older stuff here. So let's take a step back a little bit. So, you know, we talked a little bit about um, different ceremonies. And I want to give you kind of a, a glimpse. We're going to get into... Uh, ancient circle ceremonies here in just a moment. But it mentioned skull and bones. And also mentioned Jim Mars's book here uh, real quick. So at the very very beginning of the book, um this is actually from a from an Illuminati ceremony. So let me throw up the uh get it Anne says she was liking the photos. Let me find a good one for this. Here we'll do this one. Um, So this is actually from, uh, it's described as an Illuminati initiation at La Chateau de Mononville. This is in Paris. I don't speak a lick of French, so I took German. (laughs) Go figure, right? Uh, But from a 1789 book entitled uh, Essay on the Cult of Illuminati by Jean-Pierre Louis Deluché. So uh, let's find a good spot. To, uh, okay. In the center of the dark hall squatted an eerie altar built of human skeletons. He cringed, this is the initiate. He cringed as two of the shrouded figures approached him and tied a pink ribbon smeared with blood on his forehead. A crucifix and an amulet were hung around his neck. His clothes were removed and crosses painted on his naked body in blood. He winced not daring to move as his genitals were bound with string five other shrouded figures approached bloodstained and mumbling incoherently they threw themselves down in supplication as if in prayer there was sudden light as a funeral pyre was lit he watched wide-eyed as his clothing was tossed into its fire as the pyre blazed higher a large form seemed to rise from the flames the booming voice of a priestly initiator spoke out low but distinctly with great authority the initiate could not determine its source, but found himself repeating the words of the oath. I'm not going to read the oath here because uh, it goes on a bit. So it says the oath and then uh, next, a seven branched candrib- candelabrum bearing seven black candles was set before the candidate along with a bowl containing human blood. The candidate washed himself in the blood and even drank a quantity of it. The string around his genitals was removed and he was placed in a bath to undergo complete ablu- ablution. After which he was served a meal of root vegetables. So um, that was supposed to be an Illuminati ceremony uh, from a, a book from 1789. So that was right around uh, that was right around the end of end of the days of, of the Illuminati. So kind of very very graphic stuff as to what they they did in their ceremonies. Let's take a look at um, some other ceremonies here. That's not going to be as graphic. <laughs> uh, we're going to go to Draw Bag Stone Circle. Now, we covered this uh, last week in our Stone Circle class. Of course, we've been talking about Drumbeg Bag off and on here a bit anyway because of the uh, Ireland tour coming up here in July. Uh, still a couple tickets left uh, for anybody that's interested. Ancient Mysteries of Ireland with Mike Ricksecker. So grab a couple more tickets for that tour. But all right, Drombeg Stone Circle. Yeah, we, we did cover this. But um, I grabbed a quote here from this is Druidry.org uh, talking about their basically ceremonies of Druids. They try to uh, adhere to the old Druid customs, much of which has been lost to time. But Drombeg is a location in which is universally been dubbed a location in which Druid rituals were performed there because they have found that archaeological evidence. So this is from Druidry.org. Our inspiration for ritual comes from the natural world and the old myths and stories. We make our rituals outdoors in nature as much as we can. We come together in circles rather than in rows to affirm our unity and equality. The circle in which we stand or sit symbolizes the whole world. And as a group of people, we symbolize all of humanity Standing as one people on one earth, so um, I mean, definitely not as graphic as all the Illuminati stuff. Uh, this this sounds a uh, you know quite a bit more. Hey, we're grounding with ourselves with the earth. We're becoming one uh, with with the earth. Fantastic, um, and and I think in a lot of the the old rituals, I think that's a lot of what they were trying to do. Whether they were trying to uh, connect with the earth or whether they are trying to connect with, with the sky and, and, and the gods in the sky or maybe they were extraterrestrials. But I think that's what a lot of these ceremonies were, were about. And so I think that's a fantastic uh, description there. So, so draw bag, um, again, we have the two portal stones that mark the entrance of the circle, uh, basically at, at the winter solstice and they're aligned with the setting sun. You have the Druid's altar That's here. So basically, this is where the Druids, like we were just reading, would perform their ceremonies. Some people are reported here in Banshees nearby, since this is Ireland. Uh, And there's some interesting archaeology that was was discovered here. So uh, archaeologists, this is a more modern archaeologist, Aubrey Burrell, uh, referred to cremated bones that were found there as a dedicatory offering, perhaps a sacrifice. But major excavations were performed in 1958 by E.M. Fahey, and he, he saw this as a fertility cult that was here, uh, that you could look at some of the different upright stones of a uh, pointed male upright and a very broadly fecund female, uh, so these would be integral parts of the beliefs of, of the circle builders. But more so uh, is in, in the ritualistic aspect of this, they removed the gravel pavement within the circle uh, that was there. This was back in nineteen fifty-eight. not gravel there now; it's dirt. Uh, and what they what they found? Okay, this, uh, was a dark circular patch that was almost exactly in the center of the circle, covered by a dusting of charcoal. When the materials in that area were examined, they were found to contain bits of cremated human bone. At the edge of the deposit, they found standing on edge, large potsherds, which they determined were from an already broken vessel. They were used for the placement of the burial deposit. Inside were other small pieces of pottery, burnt pebbles, all mixed together with cremated bone, charcoal, and soil. So, um, you know, very, very interesting how for whatever their practices were, whatever they believed, they were taking already broken pots, which I, which I find interesting. And they were putting this mixture of, of the charcoal and cremated bone in there. So there's some sort of... Now, some people could speculate human sacrifice. And there are certainly many cultures around the globe throughout history that performed human sacrifice or they could have taken somebody that was already deceased and, you know, performed maybe it was some sort of funeral or it could have been some other ceremony. I mean, he's saying um, he believed it was fertility. Um, but again, it's one of those, we don't know exactly for sure. We just know that there were certainly uh, rituals being performed there in the circle for some Higher purpose of some power, uh, whether it was fertility or or something else. Well, we can trace all of this back to you know, we mentioned earlier. Um, Adam Weishaupt trying to you know, he was into a lot of the ancient Persian culture. Uh, he was looking toward ancient Egypt, ancient ancient Sumer, and so we see a lot of these types of rituals being performed uh in reverence of the of the anunnaki the shining ones these are enlightened beings who came here from some other origins so people that are performing these ceremonies um, and trying to tap into this lost knowledge they may not even be thinking i want to know what the anunnaki knew it's whatever their culture is they're their reference to their God. I mean, we, we even see you know, similarities. This was another thing out of that he actually gets into in, in this. So I highly recommend this book as, as well. Um, the different correlations between the, the various gods. So, um, you know, the God who ruled the heavens was Anu to the Sumerians, Amun-Ra to the Egyptians, Cronus to the Greeks, and Saturn to the Romans. The wife of the heavenly father for the Sumerians was Antu, For the Egyptians, it was Mut. For the greeks it was hera and for the romans juno uh, the ruler over earth was uh, the Sumerian god enlil the egyptian set the greek zeus and the roman jupiter so they all had the same thematic gods and people that they that they uh, either worshipped or gave offerings to but if you look at the persona of these entities they're all essentially the same it's like they're throughout time they're all talking about the same person or the same people they just take on a bit of a different guise depending on the culture it's kind of like you know when i talk about um uh the the shadow entities how every culture talked about these things but they either gave it a different name they put some legends and lore around it that sort of thing and that's what these cultures did when it came to these different entities. And you can trace it all the way back to the Anunnaki. One of the things we mentioned there was Inlil. The other was was Inki. Enlil um, was essentially trying to keep like, humans subjugated. Uh, Inky was trying to enlighten uh, humanity a bit and, and bring us out of being a, a type of slave race. So there's a lot of different things that, uh, a lot of different, Types of power that people are trying to gain out of performing these rituals and doing these circles. You know, there are, there's knowledge and technology that, uh, entities like the Anunnaki and these others, you know, if you want to follow Greek or Roman, they had different powers and knowledge that humans aspire to the humans wanted, but couldn't necessarily achieve it we didn't know how to achieve it we didn't know how to get it and if we're talking specifically Anunnaki when they disappeared because they're no longer here on earth right now unless they're in disguise and some and some people believe when it comes to you know the the Illuminati and things like this some people believe that uh some of these people are uh descended from them they actually still have Anunnaki blood through them that they might be you know a sort of uh, hybrid and, uh, you know, and some of these people actually believe that that they are uh, descended from the Anunnaki. And in a lot of cases, when they're performing these different ceremonies or doing these different circles, they're trying to connect to that. And they may not specifically know everything that the Anunnaki knew, but they have this knowledge that's been passed down through the ages. We know this, and if we perform this ritual, you know, it's we know it's similar at least in part to what they did thousands of years ago maybe if we start with that we get that going and we get the right whether it's incantation the right energy going use the right stone maybe we can unlock and tap into that power that you know these ancient beings had that the anunnaki the different gods whatever it was maybe we can harness that and whether it's anti-gravity technology and you know we see depictions of that in uh, in ancient egypt this is the the temple levitating there's our good friend johnny enoch pointing to the the levitating temple uh, whether it's the 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 mufkut's the uh, monatomic white gold powder or you know other references are the philosopher stone this is the temple of abydos and the uh, uh the mufkut's there on the that's the left it's it's basically being depicted as an, an offering here but when we see those uh those, those white cakes is essentially what it's called and i'm going to let muhammad here uh kind of explain that so muhammad where are you
1: look guys here we can uh, recall the story of my dear friend johnny Enom about the Mofko. But you must know something that I still, I agree about 95% of the story. I still don't agree about the name, because the word Mofkot, in, uh, according to the Egyptian dictionary, means turquoise, okay? The word Mofkot means what? Turquoise. But if I find a way to prove that Mofkot can mean uh, uh, gold, uh, white gold, I will immediately tell Johnny about it. So here okay. it is. If you come closer, come closer. Sha'id, hedge, Okay? Sha'id, sh- this is the word bread. Hedge white. And this is the symbol. And this is the same on his hand. So the white cake at the claim. Okay? But what is the cake? Uh, uh, like, what does the cake is doing here?
0: All right. So that was... I'm still clicked on that photo. Sorry there. Uh, so that was Muhammad Ibrahim. Uh, we'll be covering that in the uh uh stargates of ancient egypt tour next february so i uh, have more information about that now i'm going to st- start disseminating the link to some people they're still getting some of the artwork together but the booking pages is, is now up for uh, stargates of ancient egypt tour but we'll be covering that there but um yeah so the you know the, the white cakes made from this this powder that um you know it, it's this very mysterious thing that they that they supposedly had and when we talk about the monatomic white gold uh that this is you know what they believe this was we hear you know tales of the anunnaki coming down here for the gold the gold used in so many different things that people ingest the gold and it you know takes the impurities out of the system so you know it uh it prolongs life. It heals the body. Uh, it regenerates human DNA, cures diseases, all of these different things. And so that would be essential for, uh, for if we want to go down the extraterrestrial realm, uh, one of the issues with space travel, traveling between these different solar systems is the length of life. Of, of a person that you cannot live with long enough to get out to a lot of these places. And we've talked about, okay, using, you know, uh, wormholes, the United Santa Rosa Bridge, that sort of thing, crossing interdimensionally, fantastic. But if you do need to travel a long distance over a great period of time, you need to live longer. So if this monotonic white gold is something that prolongs your life, keeps regenerating the body that's something you would want and we have the legends and stories of the anunnaki coming down here needing and wanting the gold why do they need so much gold why do they need to have the human race mine that for them and this could this could be why um we don't have a lot of time to dive into that there's a whole aspect of of this class that i am actually not going to be able to get into this evening so uh we're actually getting to a, a decent stopping point with this um but um yeah let me see what you guys have for comments here because we're really right toward the end here uh, so sarah Yusuf asking is there such a thing as accessible universal knowledge than like the akashic record well you know yeah uh, there's a lot of people that believe in in the akashic record and being able to access that and i and really i think that's what a lot of these people are trying to get into whether it might not necessarily be specifically the Akashic Record, but it's uh, it's knowledge that is out there for the taking. It's a matter of being able to tap into it and find it and use it. You know, um, talk about the you know the collective unconscious, which is the idea that all these ideas are out there freely lack of a better term really floating through the universe and it's a matter of being able to access those ideas um and, and bring them to you so what's the key to hitting on the right idea is it just you know random luck i think what a lot of these ceremonies is you know when we're talking enlightenment is to be able to access the the right knowledge so you know if you if you're looking for prolonged life if you're looking for anti-gravity technology if you're uh you're looking for just just basic healing not even necessarily you know long-lasting life you just want to get rid of you know some disease that somebody has um you know or learning some secret of of the universe you know it would be a matter of tuning into the right frequency to get on that wavelength to access the right channel and pull that piece of information down so that that sort of thing um so okay Anne was asking which books so i was reading from this is uh the illuminati by by jim mars so i had recommended two books uh this evening with this the illuminati uh by jim mars the other was uh occult america by mitch horowitz so um and jeanette asked uh is that all true what they did in their ceremony so you know, we're going off of the old French text from 240 years ago. It's hard to know. I mean, it's those descriptions that we base a lot of our, when, when we're showing the photos of eyes wide shut, you know, that's where we're pulling descriptions to show that on in a movie from. Uh, so, we weren't there you know so we don't know for sure if it happened or not but those are the stories that have been passed down the time now when he wrote that in 1789 that was right there at the time of the illuminati so uh, could he have been embellishing it it's always possible i mean i can get on the internet right now and on a blog post write whatever in the world i want and post it and then be up to the reader to believe it or not um, so sure that thing could have happened i mean it it could have been a propaganda piece against the illuminati at the time and we saw where the Rosicrucians were coming out and speaking against the illuminati so it could have been a propaganda piece against them we don't know uh not for sure and there's tom mcnicholas good to see you tom uh and then uh sarah yusuf yes you could consider the connected universe uh, in the connected universe portal, a not so secret society. Yeah, that idea that, I mean, right there. Uh, you know, the, the definition of a secret society, that the secret society is basically uh, a group that is you know, not, not publicly accessible. You might know about it, but um, well, I, I don't know, because you could, I gave the example of, of the YMCA earlier, you know, YMCA is not a secret society. You can go down as a person from the public and go and sign up and be in the YMCA. Somebody could go out to connecttheuniverseportal.com, sign up, and they'll become part of the Connect the Universe portal. But there's still that kind of doorway, <laughs> I guess. So it's sort of, sort of. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because Nicole um, said something very similar some some months ago where she was like, yeah, the, the connected Universe could could be your your secret society and it's like yeah you know i don't (laughs) i don't necessarily know if i want to because there's such a um a bad connotation about it you know um you know when when it comes to those quote-unquote secret societies but i mean we are you know passing on knowledge here we are sharing uh in things here and even though i'm the one sitting here at the microphone in front of me rambling and uh in sharing what what i've discovered you guys have a lot of you know great information that you share down there in the chat as well uh you ask some great questions you know very some very thought-provoking things and um yeah sometimes you know you have some comments that are like oh wow that's interesting i didn't know that or i didn't think about that so um so it's a sharing of knowledge we're, we're illuminating each other so all right everybody that is that is it for this evening the, the last bit i'm gonna have to save for another time it actually got into a uh, a personal story from my family concerning uh, Freemasonry and whether or not dabbling in this sort of stuff does it have repercussions later on um, well we'll have to say that for another time all right everybody have a great night till next time you guys have a great week